Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Carrie Allen, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you, Paul. I'm delighted to be here. Should you describe how you and I uh, met and connected to do this podcast? Absolutely. My husband, Christer Allen, went to UVA with you. And uh, connected us. UVA, arguably the best school in the universe, maybe. Without a doubt. Yeah, I think it sounds right. Uh, yeah, so, Krista, you and I hadn't seen each other. I mean, we maybe saw each other a couple times right after college, but then reconnected. Maybe. Maybe, maybe 30, not even. 35 years later, I'd say. And now we don't live too far apart. And we see each other and we drink beer and bourbon, that sort of thing. But we're not here to talk about you, Krista. We're here no. to talk about... Your wife, and you are uh, going to function as a co-host today, and you were informed about seven minutes ago that Carrie and I would be <laughs> delighted to have you join us. Happy to do it. Awesome. All right, Carrie, I have no idea where you grew up. Where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, and oh. lived there till I was about 10, and then moved to Richmond, Virginia. So I call Virginia my home. It's where I really uh, lived for the rest of growing up. What I ask everybody from Richmond is, where did they go to high school? Where'd you go to high school? I went to Marymount High School, which is no longer No, it's there. not. No. What happened to it? Um, allegedly, they had not saved enough money to help with capital improvements or saved um, a retirement fund for the nuns. And so the building itself was filled with asbestos and sort of, I think, with um, lower enrollment numbers and uh, problems with the building and the nuns getting older. They retired Marymount High School in Richmond. And they weren't replacing the older nuns with younger nuns? Uh, As far as I recall, no. But they did, um, the nuns went um, to other schools and then the older ones went to Terrytown where they do have Uh, a place for retirement. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So are you Catholic? I am not. But you Uh, went to a Catholic high school. Funny enough, I also went to a Catholic uh, middle school. So when we moved to Richmond, um, we lived in the fan. And uh, the best school that was close by was St. Benedict's School, which Mm. was a Catholic school. Um, My father wanted my sister and I to be able to walk to school. So we did. And then uh, the trajectory from there was to go either to St. Gertrude's or Marymount from the Catholic school. And so we just followed our friends. I followed my sister. She's 11 months older, so she picked Marymount. Okay. That's why I went there. So you had, you had a choice between the two. Yeah. I, I think most people go St. Gertrude's, right? Um, or is that I, a recency thing for me, just because St. Gertrude's is still around? I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, certainly now, that would be it, because there's no Marymount. How many girls were in your class? I, I remember our senior year, we had 54 students total. All right, so Louisville, is that where one of your parents is from? No, we uh, ended up, my mother and father ended up in Louisville. I think my father got a job there. And so um, my sister had been born in North Carolina, and then he went there, and I was born in Louisville. And then um, we had, I had a brother um, who has since passed away and uh, grew up um, in Louisville. And then once we moved to Richmond, my mother moved back to Kentucky. So it's like my father raised me and my sister, and my mother had my brother in Kentucky, so There's a lot going on. A lot there. going on, a lot of trauma, but it just makes you stronger and more resilient, in my opinion. So, should we explore that a little bit uh, more? Not so much. I mean, only if if you feel like it could be helpful for other people. Uh, only if but, you only if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I probably don't need to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so your dad's job took moved you guys around. Yeah. A fair amount. 
moved us to, to Louisville and then back to Virginia. And, it wasn't like a military job or anything. Gotcha. I'm not sure how he So it wasn't like he was it. moving around every three or four years? No, no, yeah. no. Okay, but when your parents broke up, dad came back to Richmond? Um, we all moved to Richmond. Oh, okay. And then my mother left and took my brother back to Kentucky. Gotcha. So, and yeah. you're the middle child? I'm the middle child, yeah. And your brother was the youngest? He was the youngest, but then when my father remarried, I do have a, um, a half-brother, um, Gibson. Okay. So, all right. yeah. A lot going on. A lot going on. I, I need like a uh, piece of paper to keep all this straight, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should have brought my notebook. Right. <laughs> do you have memories of Louisville? Uh, I do. I, am I saying Louisville correctly? Louisville. I, I, L- when L- you're from Louisville. there, you say Louisville. Uh, Louisville. But a lot of people pronounce it Louisville, but either one I'm works. I'm definitely not from there. Either, either one works. All right. So I can actually remember, like, of course, when you have memories, you remember either th- things that fill you with emotion, so either happy or sad. And um, I can remember a big, well, two things. A blizzard that came through mm. in the 70s that caused so much snow that we couldn't even get out. That was very memorable and more fun. And then when tornadoes went through. And then after being in the basement with a mattress and being scared and then coming out after and all the trees gone and everything. So That's super scary. Yeah. So When, when I think of tornadoes, I don't think of that part of the country. But I guess it's before the, the mountains, so they don't break yeah, up before Yeah. That. And in um, we, I went to Bloom Elementary and then Collegiate, um, a private school. And uh, we had regular drills of tornado drills. Get under your hmm. desk, put your head down, or go out in the hall and put your head to the, to the wall. Okay. Yeah, crazy. When you were like nine or ten years old, what were you doing in your uh, free time when mom and dad weren't telling you what to do when you went to school? Uh, those days in the 70s, so when I was nine, that was 79, we were um, largely unsupervised all day, right? And so we'd get up in the morning. It was and my the sister, best. It was the best. And so my sister and I would head out on our bikes and be in the neighborhood, and we might end up having lunch at a neighbor's house uh, and we could hear our parents call us at you know dinner time. We'd be gone all day. It would not happen today, right? And we'd oh have bikes, gosh. we'd it, hurt ourselves. It's our generation's fault that we we became the helicopter Exactly, because we knew. <laughs> I guess we did. Most guess. of that was good. It was, all, it was good, it was great. Yeah. I mean, there was maybe some things we shouldn't have right. done, but right. yeah. Right, and then I swam a lot. I was on the swim team. Swimming for me, I, I'm just gonna give you a little editorial. Swimming for me is not natural because humans can't breathe underwater and then the repetition i mean mm-hmm. the, that combination of not being able to breathe underwater and the repetition I, why would anybody want to do that right but you loved it, it I, like. I loved it i was on the swim team and actually um one of my first swim coaches was mary t mahar who had won the olympics in mm. butterfly so i became really strong at butterfly and That's won the, cool. the state um championships and then went to st louis to represent the state on the little bus of our swim team so wow how yeah. old were you eight Nine. Wow. State champ, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Most people can't say they were state champ of anything. (laughs) It was my team. So, you know, uh, our team won. But I was the butterfly. Yeah. You were number one for butterfly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Describe the butterfly. It's when you take your arms together and you go over. And then your your feet are together and your feet stay together and they kick together. Bird and a dolphin combo kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good way. Does that sound right? Describe it. Sure. Yeah. It doesn't seem supernatural. I guess the dolphin part does maybe. (laughs) <laughs> to swim. Yeah. I mean. It's a tough stroke for sure. It looks tough. Yeah. Would somebody n- normally swim like that if they were just trying to move from point A to point B in the water? Uh, if it were us today, definitely not. It's, not, it's, it's, it's harder. It's probably the least efficient stroke. It's the, right. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't even attempt it. My sister was good at it. Both yeah. of them were. I, I could not do it. Yeah. I wouldn't try. Like four and then I'm like drowning. Did you swim in, in Richmond when you came to Richmond? No. 
Oh, so you... I think that's why it stopped. We didn't um, belong to a, a club that had a pool or oh, gotcha. that we lived in the fan downtown. All right, so as a teenager, what were you up to? You weren't um, swimming anymore. You know, I oddly, in high school, joined the choir. Now, anyone who knows me today would think that's funny because I don't have a singing voice. <laughs> but I was able to sort of mask. I have what's called a musical ear, which doesn't mean I'm musical, but I can, like... Um, start talking like someone's accent if I'm talking to them my my voice starts to just naturally pick that lilt up um, and that person and likes so, that actually so they really like that oh wow. no they well, do yes I think probably from a subconscious you know uh, that that works but being in a small choir and we'd go around and perform and so forth I could just stand next to someone she's the alto and I would just be able to match her sound I didn't necessarily know the notes or where to go but I could sing what mm. she was singing so, so I faked so, it. I so faked solo, it. not really going to be. A I thing wasn't doing for you. any solo work. <laughs> do you, so do you do that in conversation as well? If you meet somebody from Louisiana, do you? Without knowing it, I do. I can remember over the years, some you know, someone saying, "Why are you doing that?" I'm like, "Doing what?" And I was I was talking to someone hmm. um, from another country and realized I was starting to match their cadence and their sound, which might they might like it or they might think I'm making fun of them. I don't think I do that as much anymore. So it's not completely subconscious and natural. I actually have no idea. I wasn't doing it consciously. It was subconscious, but but it's, I fa- it's I faded. Noticed that. But you did a lot of field hockey too. Oh, right. High school. I, I did field hockey. Yes. That's why you're here. Chris. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. I did field <laughs> hockey. I'm like I didn't do much in high school. Yeah, I did. I was in the choir. I did field hockey. Um, I did softball. My father was the coach, so he made me the catcher. So I blame my uh, messed up knees on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's brutal. Catching yeah. is absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah. Did you like field hockey? Loved it. And I played it my first year in college as well until um, someone from Sweetbriar messed up my knee. I went to Randolph-Macon Women's College. I'm, so I'm wearing the other Randolph-Macon today. Yeah. <laughs> my daughter goes there. So nice. I'm wearing, yeah. Nice. Uh, is Randolph-Macon Women's College still all female? It is not. It went co-ed, and it's now called Randolph College. Ah. Yeah. Not to be confused with the other randolph Exactly. Yeah. And maybe they liked Randolph better than they liked Macon. Who knows? They probably went through a process. I don't know. Where is Randolph College? Uh, in Lynchburg, Virginia. Okay. There are a lot of schools in Lynchburg, aren't there? There are. Um, Liberty, Lynchburg. Maybe that's and it. Randolph Lynchburg College. Lynchburg College. Yeah. Those three. Maybe they're not that many. Yeah. And then Sweetbriar is just outside of it. Oh, right. 20 miles. Is that still in business? I actually don't know. I think so. Yeah. I thought they were old and... So field hockey, but not lacrosse. Not lacrosse. And that was an option, though. It was. My sister played lacrosse. They're fairly similar games. Um, so uh, with lacrosse, you have to catch a ball, right? And you throw it. With uh, hockey, you've got a stick on the ground and you're hitting it. But the movement up and down the field is very sure. similar. Both sports have goalies. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like hockey, hockey. Right. Yeah. One, one's uh, higher in the air. Exactly. The other one's on the ground. Yeah. Uh, but I, my sister played both, and I'm, I'm oh, nice. most, uh, well, I say most, my my sister played both. I assumed every woman who played one or the other would play both, but not not in this case. And your sister yeah. didn't play field hockey, I'm guessing. She did. She played field hockey. So now I'm two for three. Right, yeah. exactly. And you wore kilts in both of those, yeah. correct? kilts, yep. What's up with the kilts in both of those? I actually don't know why we wear kilts for field hockey. I don't think hockey. they do that anymore. Do they not? Yeah. No. Do all school, I mean, even back then, did back all schools then, wear them? all field hockey players wore kilts. Was it a private school thing? Because in college, we still did, too. Charlottesville High School, Warren. Yeah. Okay. All right. There it is. Yeah. All right. Were you, uh, how would you describe yourself in high school? Were you more academically inclined? 
Were you more athletic? I think I was more athletic, um, athletically inclined. However, uh, um, grades came easy to me, so I didn't work that hard, and I still still did well. Did you hang out with the uh, the kids that were doing extremely well in school, or were you hanging out with the, the field hockey players, or a mix of all that? So it was mixed because it was very small. Um, you kind of had to. school, so I had. There was a group of like seven of us that um, hung out together, and um, then of course we're friends with others in the class. It was still very small. So yeah, I guess you kind of float amongst everybody when the school's right. that small. Yeah. And, and uh, last question on Marymount. Um, you're kind of blowing my mind because I don't think I know anybody else that went to Marymount, <laughs> and I'm from that area. Uh, was it K through twelve or is it just ninth through twelve? No, it was just ninth through twelve. Okay, yeah. got it. All right. All right. So <laughs> why did you go to the college you went to? My grandmother went there. So my whole life, first of all, uh, when we moved to Virginia, my grandmother and grandfather lived in Weems, Virginia, close to where we are now, in Whitestone, Virginia. Um, And she was uh, such a guiding force for me, Um, you know, with my mother being in a different state and my father would um, send my sister and I down to spend time, like three weeks at a time with our grandparents. And so she was just an amazing woman and I looked up to her, but she always talked about going to Randolph making women's college as well and so it just naturally felt like okay well that's where I'm gonna go too when people think of you going to college what should they think like I'm just gonna be awesome at whatever discipline or were you, were you there to, to learn anything in particular or you, so you gotta go funny like I did. is I I went uh, thinking all right I'm gonna go get a business degree because I had in my mind that once I finish I'm gonna go work for a corporation and run a corporation one day um, but because it was a liberal arts college I was required to take Foundations of Art, Art 101, uh, my freshman year, and it just blew my mind. So while mm. they didn't have you know, a business degree, per se, at Randolph-Macon Women's College, they had an economics degree. So I took an economics course and just loved uh, Dr. Carl Stern, who was the head of the economics department, and freshman year became his um, teaching assistant, was grading people's That's quick. papers. I know. Um, and then I fell in love with art, and Dr. Robert Fuller was the head of the art department, and he's like, you really need to get an art um, major as well because you're very talented. We did my first painting, and so I just said, all right, I'll do both. Um, and so um, what that helped me do was develop enough skills so that throughout the trajectory of my career up until now, I have completely transformed myself at least four times, gone into vastly different um, directions from the arts to education to innovation. So I think a, a grounding of um, a grounding of um, teaching you how to problem solve, how to do different things and not be so focused on rote learning mm. helps you. I think in the long run. So it pulls out your creative side and maybe yeah. your more uh, compartmentalized, rational, logical side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm fascinated by your comment that you went into college with this notion that you would uh, work in a corporation and eventually run that corporation. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, were you thinking like a, a top 100 kind of corporation? I was thinking like one of the Fortune 500 companies. That's just what I had my eyes on. Where did that come from? I Is, have no idea. I don't. <laughs> right? Kids at the age of 17, 18, most of them are not thinking that way. No. But that's just how your brain works. It's just how I worked. And so, you know, freshman year, more than uh, in high school, I started to just get it get involved as well. So at like the very first weekend when they had the president of student government speak to the incoming class of freshmen, I'm like, oh, she's really cool. When I'm a senior, I'll be president of the student government as well. 
And so I did. So like my freshman year, I was president of the freshman class, and then I went into the judiciary. I was on the judiciary committee my sophomore year. My junior year, I was vice president of student government, and then I became president of student government. So I kind of create a goal for myself, and then I just figure out how to get there and do that. So I can just be like, check, did that. So uh, check meaning you like list and checking things off your list, or yes. you're very uh, inspired to go reach a level and I think it's more that I okay. love to build things and to achieve things and then it's not like once, once I get there I don't rest on my laurels I'm like okay now what's next what are we gonna do so uh, it sounds like you're like hey I want to aspire to this huge goal and then I'm gonna incrementally work my way there and so my next goal is whatever it is and you do whatever you can to get there I think uh, when you look back I can I can say that's how it worked, but I don't think I was so like, let me figure out the next step to do that. It just happens once I've got my vision on something and then I start to work towards that. You how, can, how, sorry, go ahead, finish your don't talk. Don't go ahead. How, how does that work into your relationship with Krister? Does it have any impact at all? Um, absolutely. We, we launched in 2018 our company August Table together. And so it's like I've got this big vision for this and he is not only my best friend and uh, soulmate and husband, but he's my business partner. And so I keep coming up with new visions and new ideas of where we're going to go, and he helps make them happen. So. Does he do it out of unconditional love, or does he do it because you're motivating let's, him? Or let's ask him. <laughs> Why are you doing it, hon? <laughs> oh, I'm supporting you. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't one of my aspirations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, happy wife, happy life, baby. Yes, yeah. happy to do it. Yeah. Yeah, because you're fairly involved. Both of you are fairly involved in August Table. We'll come back to August yeah. Table in a little bit. All right, so you you double major yeah. in art and economics. And a French minor. Why not? <laughs> why, why French? Uh, because um, I actually, and I'll say her name, Madame Sif was the French teacher in high school. And I thought she was just amazing and wonderful, and I'm still in touch with her today. Wow. And as a freshman, um, I think as a freshman, yes, I started to take French, and she was someone that I looked up to and um, ultimately took a, a small subset of French students. There were seven of us on a trip, a European trip, where we went to France and four other countries, and she just made such an impact on my life that I was like, of course, naturally, I'll, I'll be speaking French too. So I took it all through high school and all through college, and I could have had a third major, but I didn't. Um, I couldn't senior year be have two majors and do those uh, projects and do another third one and be president of student government. So it sounds like too much. Too much, yeah. Yeah, I, I majored in one thing because that was plenty for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was French going to be applicable for you because you thought you might get into art and maybe live in Paris? I just time? well, so when I was graduating, I said to my father, he knew, and I'm forgetting who it was now, but somebody who ran a comp a corporation in France. Um, or maybe it was actually a, an American corporation, but they had business in France. And so my dad reached out to them and said she'd like to go to France and uh, work there. Um, but have you ever read the John Irving book, A Prayer for Owen Meany? I have not. So it's a really great book where it's, it's a thick tome of a book, and you're reading, and these things happen, and you're not sure what's going on, and you're reading the story. And then at the very end, all these pieces of throughout this whole trajectory of life came together to serve one mm. culminating uh, aspect in the book. And I feel like um, several times things came together. And so right out of college, I went and got my Series 7, was in the financial industry, did bonds. And then I thought, well, this isn't really creative enough for me. So I went into the museum field, and I was painting on the side. And um, 
at like, I don't remember exactly the year, maybe it was in 2004, I started working at the Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston, helped them build this magnificent building. And I thought my next step would be to be the director of an art museum. However, a Harvard professor reached out to me and said, would you uh, co-found this innovation education program with me where it was bringing art and science together. Hold on, hold on. When, when did, why would a Harvard professor reach out? Uh, because he had had uh, a foundation a few years before where they had, a headhunter had reached out to me to run his educational uh, arts program. And gotcha. so they, he'd, he'd known about me. Okay. Um, at that time, I think there were seven candidates. They narrowed it down to two, and they um, choose an older, more seasoned, experienced person to run the foundation for that was really around arts education. Um, and so when he reached out to me, he said, oh, and I have a cultural center lab in Paris. And so I oversaw and worked with the team in Paris, so I would have to use my French, and was building this education program with him that I grew to 23 sites around the world. So it was like my economics and brain was pulled in from that with my creativity and the arts management, and then I was able to use my French. So that's why I say it was kind of like that a prayer for Owen meaning moment where everything kind of came together. Yeah, for that, it sounds like you've had a few culminating events. It, yes, it keeps happening. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is great. It was great. Uh, did you plan each culminating event? I mean, I no. guess you can't. They, they no. kind of naturally occur, I guess. Right, right. All right let me back up. Uh, and I think I know this about you because you guys maybe shared this with me a few months ago. You knew Krista when you were much younger. We met when I was 15 um, at first, and uh, we dated in high school. I became a lifeguard because I thought he was so cute, and he was a lifeguard at Wintergreen. It's not the word you use with me when you described it off of recording, but it's yeah. okay. all good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. So, we had dated in high school. Yeah, for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in college a little and bit. And in college. Chris went to college. There's a chance you met. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, First maybe. Year. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Uh, but he was at UVA and I was still in high school. And this was pre-email, uh, pre-texting, and it wasn't easy to get in touch with each other. And so the whole reason we broke up was confusion. Um, apparently he was calling, but my dad and stepmom never gave me those messages. So I thought we'd broken up. Um, you thought he just kind of walked away? Yeah. But you, you had dated a while. He wouldn't have just walked away, I wouldn't think. Well, I thought that's, <laughs> that's what... That's awful. Mm-hmm. I know. It's like what you think's happening, what they we th- We had two vastly, and I'll just, really I'll, just, I'll just I'll say it. Then the next time we actually saw each other, I started to date someone else who I then married, my first husband. And then d- when we divorced, Krista had been divorced, and we are back together like we were supposed to be uh, all well, along. Well, let's talk about that. How would you reconnect? I was listening to uh, some music with a friend, and a song came on that we used to listen to in high school. And, and uh, who, who was that? It was Jefferson Airplane. And I started yelling, Christopher Allen, oh my gosh, I wonder what he's up to. So I Googled him and sent him a LinkedIn message. Wow. <laughs> and he was in Idaho, and I was in Boston. And we'd been there for decades across the country from each other. So Were you trying to connect just because he's uh, a cool person from your past, or was it? did you have romantic intent? I, um, I, uh, um, to be honest, I was probably three bourbons in and heard the song and Googled him and connected with him. So, so <laughs> confusion and a misinterpretation broke you up yeah. and bourbon got you back together and a song. Right, exactly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty cool story. Pretty cool story. And you guys have been together for a well, while. Well, and so then we've been married. It'll be seven years pretty yeah. soon. Um, but we lived on opposite sides of the country, and uh, we started to talk, and um, 
we're both a little bit like Luddites. So when we finally realized months and months after we'd been talking that we could actually do FaceTime and see each other, it was like, oh. whoa, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> we spent eight hours that day just, you know, talking and looking at each other. And so then I flew out to um, Idaho and we went sailing for a week. And um, I think by the end of the week, we were like, yeah, we're going to get married. So Wow. And we eloped two months later. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. So before you flew out there, how long did had it been since you reconnected? Just a few months. Yeah, just a few Pretty months. Much. We, so we so sped a, this up. It was a FaceTime romance. And, uh-huh. and it didn't start from ground Not zero. Those three months. No, FaceTime was only like, like, I'd already had month. the plane ticket. It was like, whoa. <laughs> People are like, why are you going for a week? What if you, like, don't worry. And I'm like, because it's actually a really long flight to get there. Why wouldn't I stay longer? I was being more practical. Right? So. Plus, you wanted it was to be amazing. You wanted exactly. to be for It was amazing. Yeah. It was so amazing. And then uh, we actually eloped, but he still lived in Idaho and I still lived in Boston. Wow. So for a year, we were married and lived across the country from each other. And Krista, more than me, uh, came to see me. And then in... Um, I think 2017, we bought this house in Whitestone, and uh, he then eventually moved across the country for me. Thank you. And we lived in Boston together for a while, and then during the pandemic, made Virginia home base. So 2020. Uh, I've got a lot of questions here. So where are all of the kids now? So we have four kids between us, and um, Rowan, who is the oldest, is 24? How old is Rowan? He's 97. 25. Oh, he's bad dad. He, Do the math. He's at least 25. Yeah. He's 25. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Rowan, he might, if you ever hear he's this. He's in Leavenworth, Washington. Yeah, yep. Um, and he works for the National Forest Service and uh, helps fight forest fires. So U.S. Forest Service. The U.S. Forest Service, forest service uh, and helps fight uh, forest fires. So he is truly a, a hero. Um, and then Ellie is just about to graduate, and she's in Oregon. She goes to Pacific University, and then Fair is a freshman at Syracuse University, and Alexander is the youngest among the four, and he is still in high school in Boston, so uh, he's a junior. Gotcha. And shooting for UVA. Yeah. Okay. Out of state's kind of tough. Yeah. I know. But he can be maybe in-state, because we're in-state. But we don't need to talk about that. So my next question is, why Whitestone? So my grandmother, back to my grandmother, um, was in Weems and I spent my summers in this area and when we decided okay you're in Idaho I'm not going there and I'm in Boston and he doesn't like Boston and I'm so I mean, grateful who, who, who does like Boston outside of people from there? <laughs> so Dennis Leary. so then we decided okay we want to go back to Virginia and he wanted to bring the sailboat across so we needed to be somewhere where sailing was easy so we could get out to the Chesapeake Bay and I said well I'd love to come down here because my grandmother and grandfather had been here so we started looking in the northern neck she used to come here a lot as a kid to, to Weems. Just all the time. Every summer, a holiday. Even when we still lived in Kentucky, we'd come to Weems for holidays and summer. There's something about being near water. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's relaxing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, so we hunted around for a while and kind of kept coming back to this one and then uh, just finally made it happen. Yeah. And then Whitestone's our home. We love the village of Whitestone. And then... We closed as we were driving across the country with the U-Haul. We were just talking about this last night, driving across the country with all like, well, of I hope we can get the key. Christers things, <laughs> pulling a car and uh, a giant, giant U-Haul, and we arrived at like 11 p.m. driving down this long driveway to an empty house that was our first time coming in as owners. It had closed like while we were driving across the country. You had seen it before, though. Oh yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But it was empty. All those couch cushions out there on that porch. We made a bed right there. Left everything in the truck. Super tired. Just, I bet. just the first night. 
<laughs> yeah, and then it was to it. You had to, yeah, you had to, yeah, you had to yeah, get yeah. straight fast. Yeah. All right, right on. All right, so the your financial job out of college. So I mean, the way I you worked at Davenport and Company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what were the good aspects of that job? What was really interesting, well, first, um, I had um, another mentor that I looked up to, Lucy Hooper, um, still works at Davenport and Company and had been a trustee at Randolph Macon Williams College. Mm -hmm. And I'd gotten to know her when I was president of student government. And so she worked in the um, bond trading room. Um, what was really great is that they were um, helpful to young college graduates, smart young college graduates, to kind of really jump in and learn and had different trajectories. And so I initially was a liaison in the bond department, but then went into public finance. Um, but if you know public finance and, and crafting bond deals, it's really just a lot of crunching of numbers and mm. running numbers. And I'm a very creative person, so. Accounting is not your thing. I mean, that sounds like accounting. Uh, accounting is definitely not my thing. It's not, it's not not doesn't have enough creativity certainly you don't want your accountant to be creative maybe some people do but <laughs> not with numbers yeah well I you're gonna tell us later about what you're doing today uh, but it has a lot to do with innovation and mm -hmm. I imagine you've stumbled into the notion of AI and what AI is gonna be like over the next absolutely couple of years to uh, who knows 10 20 years out the, those jobs that don't require creativity, I think AI is going to basically take those jobs over. So accounting is uh, yeah, a good that's example. Yeah, that's there. a great example. So I was at uh, TED in Vancouver last week, and the whole most of the theme was around AI. In fact, the gentleman who created OpenAI and ChatGPT was there speaking, but a lot of counterpoints to AI as well. But it's sort of amazing to think about what's possible. And... Other people have said people have some trepidation around AI, but they did when the internet was first crafted mm. and around Y2K, and it's just some new type of technology that's going to transform the human experience. So New is always scary for, for most people. Yep. Uh, I, I, this, the fear that I think some people have is it becomes sentient and we be, they become our overlords. And they take and, over, yeah, right. right, right. That, that feels more fantasy to me than anything, but I mean, I guess anything's possible. I'll probably not be alive when that happens, if that happens. The other concern is, oh, you're, you're going to take jobs. Well, guess what? You need to adapt right. to the new world because that AI is not stopping. Right, right. It's, it's amazing what AI can do already. Uh, I do agree with some of the speakers that were there that we sort of, we need to create a global... Um, sort of uh, advisory board, for lack of a better word, to kind of look at, well, what are the things that we need to safeguard against or put at least safe, safety checks in place so that we know when might be too much at some point. So are there other concerns beyond being sentient and changing the, the job market? Well, some of the things that were discussed was AI and warfare, and it's already, which oh, is huge. I hadn't even thought about yeah, that. I know, I hadn't either. And so, this one gentleman uh, speaking, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but um, he was describing how Ukraine has been able to fight Russia, which is this massive country with much larger military, because of AI, because AI has come in and is able to look at, you know, from satellites, images, and they were able to use AI to actually further their advantage. So, so, it's, so it becomes a strategic advantage, mm -hmm. almost. Yeah. And it sounds like probably tactical advantage in some situations, right. too. Right, Yeah, I had not thought about that application. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that gets really scary in a hurry. So that's why there were a lot of provocative thoughts on one way or the other, or just think about this, right? Um, so lots of people are... Even to the point of, like, soldiers? 
Were they talking about that? Uh, this was more talking about the capability of uh, maybe strategy and what to do, but it could be soldiers. Like, yes, um, he showed a video of look at this and showed drones that could be military AI drones going sure. in and flying in and going into I think into that's areas. already happening now. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, you take in reams of intel and it mm -hmm. spits out, here's what your next step or next 20 steps should be. Right, right, yeah. Warfare's bad. Uh, we shouldn't be making no. it better exponentially like that. Yeah, we definitely need controls around Right, that. exactly, yeah. All right, so we, I just jumped around, sorry for that. Uh, all right, so you, you learn a few things, but you it reinforced that you would rather be creative, it sounds like, yes. and that probably led to your next gig. So describe your next gig after that. So after, well, right after uh, I, I went to work for the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, um, just sort of on the floor in exhibitions, but quickly then was sort of managing certain areas and um, working in different um, parts of it. Ultimately, it led me to work at the Cambridge Arts Council in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then at the Institute of Contemporary Art, where I thought, I love art. I can do administrative work, so it's using both sides of my brain. I want to run a museum. So I was chief of staff at the Institute of Contemporary Art, and I thought, well, now I've landed uh, because you're always dealing with new artists and new exhibitions, and so it's that fresh uh, inspiration. But then it's when the uh, Harvard professor came knocking, so I'm like, oh, why not? Education. So then I moved into that direction. But it was more of an art. It's called the Art Science Prize and Art Science Labs globally, the innovation uh, labs. Uh, bringing in a multidisciplinary um, perspective or theme to come up with more innovative ideas. And so it's just, uh, that was so fun for like nine years doing that, going to different countries and geographic regions and starting these, these education programs. So back to going to Boston, did the job take you to Boston or did you have a desire to find a job in Boston? I uh, had a desire to find a job in Boston. What was it about Boston? Uh, my ex-husband wanted to go to Boston. So. I, I walked right into that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay, so t tell, you went to 23 different, uh, I mean, you basically 23 sites around the world, right, which was amazing. So we were um, working in Singapore, in high schools in Singapore, university students in Paris, high school students in the UK, postgraduates in Saudi Arabia, spent time in Saudi Arabia learned what innovation and education looks like in vastly different cultural experiences. Um, and so I did a TEDx talk about this actually, mm. around lessons learned around um, taking this uh, to different age groups, different cultural aspects. Um, but ultimately, if you put the right structure in place, young people can come up with amazing innovative ideas. And then the Walt Disney Company paid us um, millions of dollars to take the curriculum even younger uh, and uh, make it for middle school students, and took it across the boys and girls clubs across the United States. Oh, that's great! Yeah. So if I'm a if I'm a student, what is my experience at a high level? So the framework it was a curricular framework for the Art Science Prize, um, where we would have a scientific theme each year. And so one of the first years it was neuroinformatics, and there was not a lot known around the brain and information around the brain. And then we would have um, artistic mentors and do craft exercises around that while we would have come up with some seed ideas with the Harvard professor um, and a bunch of brainstorming sessions where then the students could jump off from a seed idea to try mm. to come up with a new innovation. And it could be a nonprofit or an art project or a new scientific idea to pursue or a company even. And so the, I imagine most students loved that curriculum. Loved it. 
we started, I got Mayor Menino of Boston on board and uh, started with the Boston Public Schools. So we started as an after-school program working with all of Boston's high schools. Um, and it was really um, amazing. And then I, my first replication site was in Oklahoma City. I was speaking at a conference in North Carolina, and there was a woman there who said, I want that. I was talking about what we were doing in Boston. I want that for our kids in Oklahoma. And I was like, sure, why not? And that's, um, that started the journey to 23. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. All right, so you said Saudi Arabia. You mentioned the UK. I don't know that the, those two represent ends of a spectrum from your perspective. And when I say ends of spectrum, I mean which locations or geographies were just polar opposites, couldn't have been any more different. I imagine Saudi Arabia might be on one end and, and what would be on the so, other. So, um, funny, I, I talk about this in that, that little TEDx talk where the, thing, the, the high level things I learned is first, in Singapore, they were trying to move away from rote learning where it's just memorize facts and everything is very much schedule based and we've got 16 hours to do this and that's not how innovation necessarily works or idea generation. So we were really working with their teachers to kind of craft a new experience in, in the classroom. The Saudis were very much focused on patents, in fact, and this was in 2013. So I've had recent conversations with people from Saudi Arabia and like the country's changed in the last 10 years. Yeah. But you know, in, in some of the early meetings they were putting up on the screen, here are the patents that South Korea has. We need to make sure we have more patents. Um, in the UK, they were more interested in being a part of a global creativity kind of program and uh, learning from other geographic regions. Even if you look at the United States, we have five, uh, had five or more art science prize sites across the US. Geographic regions would produce different types of ideas. In Oklahoma City, they had different types of ideas. In, um, was it San Diego? Uh, no, it was more, more around LA. They had different types of ideas. The Boston kids had different types of ideas. Mm. So it was really interesting. It's, it sounds like in the US, it was about what the kids kind of gravitated to and in other places. Gravitated to, but I would say culturally what's happening in that city and what's ah. important in that city because they're teachers and, you know, what was important is we were teaching other places what to do, but they had to do it and run it. So it was run by local. So there was people. adult influence. Oh, yeah, kids. 100%. Are those 23 sites still going? No, not all of them. That's uh, a bummer, but, right? but I left uh, in 2016 to come join the Cambridge Innovation Center and to found um, the... Um, Captains of Innovation, which I run now. So when I left, everything started to kind of sunset. <laughs> uh, does that bum you out a little bit? Um, it does bum me out. I do know that some people are still trying to do things, um, but I feel really proud with what we did, and we impacted thousands of lives uh, generating ideas. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with, there's a book, a, a researcher named Carol Dweck, and it's called um, The Growth Mindset. Mm. And uh, in fact, I, I met her um, years and years ago. And I think taking young people through a program like the Art Science Prize completely shifts what their future trajectory is gonna be because it really is putting them in this growth mindset. So I know I can feel proud that we impacted so many. Yeah, they're, stri they're striving. They, you teach them how to strive versus right. wait for instruction and right. then memorize right. two times two is four. That right. kind of thing. That's really cool. Uh, it's not cool that the 23 sites, not all of them are still going, but, but many yeah. of them are, it sounds like. Possibly, I don't know. Oh, you haven't checked in? No. Oh, I, I would have checked in. I'm like, new new thing. I'm doing corporate innovation now and innovation district work. So, What is innovation district work? So mean? certainly after the pandemic. So where the Cambridge Innovation Center was founded in Kendall Square in Massachusetts, it's um, largely known as, as um, one of the leading 
innovation districts that started to be formed where um, there's certain pieces at play that build up in a geographic region that make it a better place for innovation to happen. So largely, so for, for us, MIT's across the street, lots of venture capitalists uh, moved in. Um, there's a lot of startups and entrepreneurial energy that's sort of like this engine for innovation that drives economic growth. A lot of 50 pound heads is what I call them. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like the thought, yeah. <laughs> I, it's meant to be complimentary. Right. Yeah, very, yeah, yeah, very, yeah. Very yeah. bright people. <laughs> well, in, in Harvard, I imagine Harvard is- uh, Harvard uh, is down the street, yeah. so yes. And so these have been, uh, repeated and now since the pandemic there are federal governments certainly in the United States with the National Science Foundation grants and lots of federal funding to try to regenerate these engines or uh, areas where innovation can thrive so that when we're hit with the next pandemic we're more able to um, to react to whatever those circumstances are. Any fun things come out of the Innovation Center since you've been there? There's so many uh, ideas uh, and and companies and things that are happening. In fact, um, the Android telephone was invented on mm-hmm. the 11th floor at CIC by Rich Miner, was then bought by Google, and lots of things like that. HubSpot was created at CIC. Um, lots of really amazing things. And lots some things that are in the works that you probably can't talk lots about. Lots of things in the works. Yeah. There's so many. <laughs> we have thousands of startups. I think since the start of CIC and now CIC has started to grow, we're in nine sites around the world. We had like 10,000 startups. So. And you're traveling to Boston every other week-ish? I do, <laughs> yeah. Is that brutal for you? Um, it is a little brutal. It's just sort of become a cadence, though, and it's almost like I have two lives. I have my life here, which when we come across the Norris Bridge, my shoulders just seem to go down, and we're on a farm with chickens, and I'm still working remotely for, for Captains of Innovation, but we've got the shop down the street, and then I'm in Boston, and Alexander is still a junior in high school, and I'm going into the office in Kendall Square, and so... It's 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 a lot. <laughs> yeah, you have a high school kid in Boston. Yeah, exactly. Boston, I didn't. I, yeah. I don't think I put that together the yeah. last time we chatted. All right, uh, let's talk about August Table. What's going on over there? Well, we're really excited um, to to just now. So August Table um, initially was conceived as an idea uh, to create beautiful things around bringing people together in the kitchen, right? And so this is again inspiration from my grandmother who just down the road, would always entertain. Uh, she was so elegant and seemed it seemed so easy that it's something I've always aspired to. She was a proper Southern woman. She was a like. proper Southern woman. And so um, I decided that creating napkins, block print napkins, would be a beautiful way to bring in beauty and joy to the table to make it easier. And so we started um, in 2018, uh, started to draw designs, uh, found our partner in India who carves blocks from our designs and we started the process then. Um, and just this week we've had a new shipment of pillows and shower curtains, so we're expanding. That's lots cool. of Lots of, if you look over there, you can see some of our pillows on the couch. Um, Those are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what, shower curtains, the outside, not yeah. the part that gets wet. No, right, yeah, yeah. just the cloth, yeah. uh, outer curtain to, to add beauty. So we're just, we're expanding what we're doing. And, um, about a year ago, we opened a little shop here in Whitestone as well. So we curate um, many things beyond our linens and tablecloths um, to be all things for the table and uh, kitchen and inspiration and gifts. How so. much of the business is online versus at the, uh, the shop? Funny the enough, um, the online business was booming um, up until, and we still ship, at, we do wholesale at retail shops across the United States and ship orders across the United States all the time. 
Um, but when Apple changed their iOS privacy regulations, it really hit the ability for you know retail shops or um, companies doing B2C direct to consumer to really make the Facebook and Instagram ads work because they mm -hmm. shut that down. So we're trying to figure out how to regain um, our holding of where we were online while the shop itself has, has, has filled that vacuum. So it's great. But it sounds like most of the business is still uh, it's online, online and that's where we're, we're, we're going to have huge growth and that's where our eyes are. So, uh, so if you can make money online, why have the physical place to sell? Well, first of all, because it's magical for me, uh, to walk in you and enjoy see, going over there. I love walking in the shop and, uh, selling things that I've, I've picked out from plates to glasses to cocktail mixes and peanuts. It just makes me happy to go in there and provide a service of a very special, unique shop for people in the local area to, to It's really in. sensory. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's absolutely about the senses. So, um, sensory in terms of even the whole shop experience of what we're selling, the feeling that you come in. We, I want a certain type of music, have a candle lit, to have the lighting perfect when they walk in, to have a fun experience. So, yeah, it lets you see it's working. It's you know, working. People buy it, they return, they like it yeah there's maybe a little more uh depth of feeling there when you yeah. when it's a physical transaction yeah. pulling like a that. thing off a shelf and sticking it in a box it's, it's not a, see not, you later not not a, a fun emotion or some mm -hmm. yeah. emotions there i mean it's certainly exciting to be selling it and packaging it up but he's right and we are able to see which prints hear from people directly in the shop which prints they love what are they excited about? do they give you negative feedback ever um, that would be considered rude, right? <laughs> I don't think we have. I think early days, the, in 2018 when we first launched, and oh my goodness, I made our packaging so complicated, and Krister did everything that I thought we needed to do, and I think I had one person give me negative feedback, and I was crushed. Um, but I, I've changed. Was that the New York Now? Yeah. No, no, no. This was one sole person in the uh, middle of America, um, and she didn't like the the cotton type of cotton but we've changed um our fabric and so forth so i mean that was good it was you know a lesson learned i've moved away from that uh that weight of cotton so yeah i mean it was it was good feedback it was good feedback end. yeah yeah, yeah. Right. All right why the name august table where did that come from so august three reasons for august um first the month is evocative of all the fruits and vegetables that are in season and so i think about when people come around a table and having a, a meal that's filled with all of earth's bounty and my birth month is august and then my brother that passed away his name was robert august earl that's my father's name as well but he was robert august earl the third so august was his middle name so it's sort of a nod to him and uh he um uh, had so much passion in life in him so august table that's it's the a, name. It's a great name. Yeah. And super meaningful to you. Exactly. All right. Well, was one of the things that attracted you to Krister his uh, hair? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> Even when I was 15, I was like, look at that. I mean, his hair now. I mean, <laughs> have you turned 54? He is going to yeah, be 55 in October. No, he so just you, got cut. So you, I just cut his hair. So you're, you're a couple months older than I am. So we're the same age. Uh, I mean, do you have a spectacular head of hair for an almost, uh, well, you're obviously it's, call you it's 54. It's a wig. It's not a wig, but I mean, I look like a typical 54-year-old. My my guys are receding pretty quickly, and I'm gonna, probably six years from now, I'll have to sh just shave my head. You, I don't think you're ever going to have that problem. No. I don't think I'll he have has that a problem. head of luscious locks. <laughs> and is, can it get too long for you? Yeah, it was just too long. It was like down to here, and I said, it's time. So. I missed that. See, I want to see that. I, like, I was I like, like let longer. me cut this off. Right. So. 
So, but that's that's a good length right there for you. That's a good length, and then as it grows out, and that's still not super short. Would you ever consider shaving your head? Oh, I wouldn't want him to. Shaving it? No. No, I wouldn't want him to shave his head. Wouldn't bother me. But but (laughs) that's part part of the attraction to Krista for you. Yes. Hair. What what was the song, the Jefferson Airplane song? Wasn't a great one. It was White Rabbit. Oh, that's a that's it was awesome. It was the best song. I'm sorry, not not their best, their most popular. Best known. Yeah, (laughs) fair enough. What what's their best then? Best? Yeah. Oh, I don't uh, I mean the the listening audience can't see your faces, but you certainly reacted with your face when I said their best song. I kinda like that thirty seconds over Winterland album, the whole thing. All right. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff on there that never made the radio, for sure. All right. Well, so for kids that are in high school or early college and uh, their boyfriend, girlfriend, they believe it's stopped communicating. What, what, what move should a kid make instead of just assuming? Uh, you should definitely uh, get in touch with the person and uh, <laughs> make sure that you are broken up. Well, now it's easier. They can. Uh, they know right away, instant, instantly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They're traveling east on this road. They've got some AI. (laughs) So how much longer are you going to do this thing up to Boston? Uh, Alexander is a junior, and so everyone knows, um, both at CIC with the kids and uh, my promise to Krister, is one more year. So he's got a senior. And then um, with the current way that work happens, the pandemic really helped speed that up, that people can work remotely and... um, I'll just I'll just do that from here. So one more year. Okay, but you can you could yeah you could get almost any job. Well, I would with your still background. I would still be working for CIC. Is the uh, expectation same capacity or slightly um, different? Capacity? It could be slightly di- different. Uh, I, I feel pretty honored. Uh, Tim Rowe, the founder of CIC, actually spun Captains of Innovation off as its own subsidiary for me. So ah. I founded it. Uh, I'm building the team. We're growing rapidly now, and I just brought in another partner. I hope to grow and then be able to replace myself, but stay in some capacity. So, so you can you can do whatever you want effectively. That's I great. Think so yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually jealous. Are you jealous a little bit? Well, you kind of get to do your own thing every day, too. Christopher's an architect and runs I, his own practice. I do what I'm told to do. He does what he's told to <laughs> and do. And after that, after that you get to Then do he gets to do whatever he wants to do on the off weeks that <laughs> I'm not here. <laughs> it's working I, for both of well, us. Well, hold on. Then I mow grass and change oil. <laughs> Is your experience vastly different when she's not here? I imagine it's different to some degree. Not really. So you just spend more time on the farm. So we have a 10-acre farm, and so he, like, loves everything. He's an architect to be perfect. So he's mowing, and we have an orchard. I wanted an orchard, so we have 50 fruit trees because that's a future business as well. I love to make jam, and so we'll be making our own jam. All right, let's talk about making jam. How do you make how, how do you, how do you make jam? So you take the fruit, and I love making jam. We already do. We launched our jam line last year. Um, and then you take... She's such, fruit. A, she's such a business person. Yeah. <laughs> we launched our line last year. <laughs> um, you take, I'll send you home with some. Yeah. You take, yeah, we actually have some uh, packaged up in there. We do? Some cherry jam, remember? Ooh, and cherry peach. I love I cherry. mean, no, cherry pear and cherry, sour cherry. I love all that. So um, you take your fruit and you can macerate it for a while where you add sugar and the juices come out. And then you add your sweetener and then certain spices and you boil it. Um, you're boiling everything or just the you juice? You boil it all together. Okay. The whole Because jam, I like the, the fruit bits in it too, as opposed to a jelly where you're straining it later. Um, 
So then depending on how much natural pectin is there, you can get it, some fruits have more, or you can put lemon and lemon rind in there. You may need to add some natural fruit pectin to help it set. And okay. then you put them in your jars and you jam them. So let's, let's think about a peach for a second. A peach has skin like a lot of fruit does. Yeah, is I, that... peel, I peel the skin. Okay, and so then the skin's the gone before you start yeah, the process. Yeah. And I'm like super excited. The, the orchard we have, we have peaches, plums, sour cherries, so, uh, sweet cherries, figs, pears. We had apples. 10 apples, oh, lots of apple trees. So we're going to have all kinds of fruit jams. How much time? Well, That's when he's always very busy. The, the maintenance, I imagine, at certain times of year uh, is quite involved. The busiest time of year to maintain those trees, what, what's going on there? Karen, well, I'm giving you a break um, here. Well, <clears throat> we just finished the pruning part of it. Now it's kind of... Um, well, the bees are out there doing their stuff. That was nice for you to say we just, because I did none of that. He did all of that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, our okay, my biggest threat has really been deer. Mm. So, you know, probably 30% of my time I go wandering around there, throwing my hair down or dog's hair. Or yeah, they don't, they don't like hair from mm -hmm. a different species. Mm -hmm. yeah. Moving the radio around, you know, putting up. I mean, I don't know what works. Lights. He put an electric, electric fence. fence has been working. That should work, right? So they don't jump it. You can... Or crash through it, and then it's open. I mean, somebody could walk through it, get shocked, and then it's wide open. Have you ever been shocked by it? Oh, yeah, I tested yeah. it. Did it knock you down? Uh, it's not that strong, but it definitely gets your attention. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can go touch it if you want. Yeah, sure. Oh I, haven't touched, I haven't touched one in a while. Yeah. Well, he just made it stronger. I don't know if you want to. Have you touched Is it? Is he going to knock you, me down? If, since no. You... Um, it won't knock you down, and yes, I have touched it. Okay. Definitely worse. It's an attention getter. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Not pleasant. No. Yeah. Definitely not a good time. All right. So, but it sounds like, I mean, it's, it, it's busy, but not super busy, even at the... Oh, I'd say it's a, it's a good hour and a half a day. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So it's watering them, fertilizing them. Was that spring you know, through fall? weeds away from them. No. Winter time, I don't really do anything with them. But spring, summer, it's pretty busy. Yeah, right now. It's Especially because they're younger. They're just like a couple today years I'm in. fine because it rained all day. <laughs> but in theory, they're going to keep growing and producing even more. And, and then more. we won't have to do as much, hopefully, once we they're really big. Them. Yeah, okay. And what, then pick the fruit. What does pruning involve? Well, I mean, you want to get the, take your stronger branches and concentrate food or fruit, rather, growth or blossoms on those. So you get a lot of these little water seekers shooting straight up in the air, which well, it's just taking energy from the plant. So you got to get rid of those because they're not going to do anything. Anything that feeds the fruit, yeah. it's taking. If it grows a piece of fruit, it's just going to bend over. Mm. So you try to spread them out. Try to horizontally. Mm -hmm. You're not and, successful and, a lot. Well, yes and no. I mean, I could, but I also they're kind of a screen over there, and I kind of want them to kind of have to look good too. Ah, so. You know, you look at the fruit orchards in like Wenatchee, Washington, and they're they're not pretty. I mean, they're just horizontal Flat branches. Of we want short, a beautiful orchard to walk trees and, But those okay. are production trees. Ours are. I guess they're. Well, they haven't produced anything yet because everything ate them all. The deer ate. We're pretty good last at growing stuff, but everything else eats produce, the other stuff, which is really um, upsetting. And then yeah. I didn't realize we have a bunch of chickens and the most beautiful chicken coop you'll ever see that Christopher built. Uh, but I started to give them blueberries, and I didn't know how much they love blueberries. So since I was giving them blueberries, they went and ate 
every single blueberry off of our 10 bushes. And tomatoes. And tomatoes. They ate them all. And I thought it was the deer until I was walking through the part of the, the vegetable uh, crop and the blueberry bushes, and I saw them jumping up, and it was the chickens. So no blueberry jam in the future? Well, we actually have a friend who has a massive organic blueberry farm, and she donated all of their blueberries last year. So oh. we have a great blueberry crop of uh, blueberry spice jam. That's and a good we, one too. Oh, yes, behind the... Um, our August table office, we have uh, blueberry bushes as well. It was just there. We didn't plant it. Yeah. It's a, it's a tree. It's pretty but, pretty nice. But we'll just keep the birds away from it this year. Our, our blueberry bushes are still growing. And yeah. usually the How longer they take. I don't know. Is okay. blueberry jam a thing? I just made okay. that up. I, think, I have a blueberry spice jam recipe that is delicious. What do you put it on? Toast, okay. bread. Sorry, I actually have. I also <laughs> used it as layers between a lemon blueberry cake and put some jam there, and then put a That's little in the cream, um, the buttercream uh, icing. I'll show you a picture mm. when I get my phone out, and it gave it this lovely lilac hue with bits of blueberry. It's like divine. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. When's your birthday? It's in December. Oh. We'll do a birthday. And we'll have to do a birthday. I'll make you a cake. You don't have to. I you don't love have, you, making cakes, and it's I mean, one of my specialties. If you enjoy it that much, I'm most proud does. of my cakes <laughs> in, in everything in my life. I'm most proud of my cakes. Good. I love my cakes. Why don't you sell cakes then? Oh my gosh, no. Don't to involve. So, well, okay, here's the deal. We are launching an August Table Cafe uh, next to August Table. <laughs> we, I, I, I wish we, I had a video. <laughs> <for this sport>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, we own the building next to where August Table is, and ultimately the plan is that's going to be a cafe, and I will be selling my cakes there. I think uh, Christer shared this with me, and he was more, uh, he was a little less excited than he had maybe. Yeah, he, his hope was kind that. Kind be a landlord. Somebody that, else going to be a baker. That, uh, <laughs> that we would just be sailing around the world in a couple years, uh, and I keep building things. And I'm saying, that's coming. We can do that, too. You can have somebody else run it, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So the, what's going to be offered in the cafe besides cake? So and it'll jam. be breakfast and lunch. So we'll have smoothies and, um, bre- you know, breakfast bowls and breakfast sandwiches and the most delicious sandwiches. Uh, and he's, he's heard all this before mm-hmm. right he's now? He's been okay. hearing it for three years. Okay. <laughs> it's been in my vision book since 2019. You don't own that, that building. Yes, we do. Oh, you bought it. Yeah, mm-hmm. in 2020. We, oh, I didn't realize. That's right. That's right. Right, we own the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's a But there's a lot of stuff from the prior occupant, right? Or the prior She's owner. still renting it, Pat Lawler. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But she doesn't stay there. Anyway, yeah. Right. <laughs> Good time. Do you think she'll listen to this? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so what's the earliest you guys sail around the world? Well, I never sail around. I, I don't want to sail around the world. That's right, too sa- scary. Because, sail to the Bahamas, or yeah, we're we're gonna start sailing this summer, uh, further out into the Chesapeake Bay, like more than just beyond our river. Well, the plan was, and then COVID hit. Um, I was gonna take the boat up to Boston, and then you were either gonna yeah. bring it back down with me or yeah. take a leg up there. You can go if you want. Yeah. And You're then uh, COVID hit, so we didn't do that. How long would it take to get to a place like Boston? Two weeks. From here? Really. I, well, I mean, depends on how much sailing versus motoring running under the diesel you wanted to do. I mean, you could go up behind New York, and I don't know. And you're I wouldn't open, do it with you're, a. You're open water for most of that, right? That that'd be the easier way to go. Hmm. Scarier too, or you're not scared of open water? I mean, everything has a potential for fear. I would say. I mean, you're watching your weather facts and stuff, you know. 
You don't, look, you don't go, go out looking when for the perfect storm. Right. I mean, that would scare the hell out of me. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly <laughs> didn't mean to imply that you'd find the most dangerous spot in the ocean and make a beeline to it. Like, yeah, okay. You guys, speaking of bees, do you sell honey? So we um, are fortunate that we have a partnership with um, Honey River Farms, uh, where she has eight of her hives here, and it's a mutually beneficial relationship. So we actually sell her honey in our shop, okay. which her honeybees are helping our orchard and all of our flowers and it's good for the earth so could you do what you're doing out there without the bees probably probably for sure but the honeybees um help pollinate and yeah. bring more fruit faster and um there's a problem with the bees in the world right now so the more we can do our part and have somebody else take care of them it's really hard to manage beehives you're one of the those people fairly not not common at all that like i have an idea I really like the idea of that coming true. I'm going to do what I need to do to make that happen. Do you have a lot of those ideas in your yes. head right now? Yes. This one? Uh -huh. <laughs> so I like to manifest things, and I've got a whole picture where we've got, right, August Table is, is, a, is a very big company. It's my corporation uh, initially that I had dreamed of when I was 19. I wasn't dreaming of it, that it would be August Table at that point. Not but, the name, but something like that. No. Didn't know what it was, but, but I think this is what I'm manifesting is my corporation is coming to, to fruition. I want a cafe that is experiential. I want a line of jams. Uh, now we're venturing into design work with pillows. Uh, I can't. Your not, wallpaper. I'm not supposed to say yet, oh. but we have a, a partnership with a, a major wallpaper company, and we'll be launching a um, line of wallpaper in a few months. I think wallpaper's coming back, too. It is very much coming back, so we're so excited. They reached out to us, and so... Um, they did? Mm -hmm. How did they know to reach out to you? Uh, somebody on their artistic team found us on Instagram, and uh, so we are co-launching. They're taking our designs. And they're launching it, and we're launching it in a few months. But I'm not supposed to talk about it until then. So. That's really cool. I know. And that just coincides with our pillows coming out and our shower curtains and other things. So I have so many plans of what and we're going to do. And your paperware. And paper products has been another line of business that we want to do uh, that's not related to any of these others. But like paper plates, sustainably done, but really beautiful to make your outdoor picnic or birthday party fun with napkins and plates. I also want to do a line of enamelware plates because those are really fun too. So I've already talked to a, a, somebody who could fabricate uh, them with us in Poland, I think they were from. I'm not sure. So That's, uh, You're an entrepreneur, clearly. Where does that come from? Um, I love to create and build things. I think my father is naturally a salesman, so I think I have natural sales capabilities, but I think it's just the creator in me, honestly, that's driving it, is that... I want to create things that I love, that are beautiful, and share them with the world to just bring more joy. A little German heritage. Yeah. <laughs> Germans are quite industrious. Yes, I, I am uh, part German. So. <laughs> what, what are the other parts? Uh, England and German. And so I have I have some pretty cool lineage. Um, so I that have... I have... Um, Glad we went here. Yeah. So, so I have two um, uh, relatives that signed the Declaration of Independence, which was interesting because also my middle name is North. On the other side in England, the prime minister was Lord North. And I'm a direct descendant of Lord North in England. Okay. And then on my grandmother's side, oh, it's actually my great, my paternal grandfather's side, um, his great-grandmother was Adelaide Grimm. And so I'm from a descendant from the Brothers Grimm mm -hmm. in Germany who wrote those yeah. stories. 
So a lot of, um, and then on the north side, it goes back, we have a book all the way back to the time of Queen Elizabeth I. There were Lord Norths and Lord Norths and they would hang out. Uh, the queen would go to their country estates in England and things like that. So, so if your family had stayed in England, you'd maybe be royalty. I would think so. <laughs> you only have a coat of arms, <laughs> that's all. Christopher, do you have lineage like that? No. Yeah. He has equally interesting lineage though because the Allens, there were the Green Mountain Boys, so it's funny, at the same time that my people were helping throw, you know, the Boston tea in the uh, taxing it and throwing taxing it, in it and throwing it in the harbor. He had the Green Mountain Boys with his name Ethan Allen. Ethan Allen. He's a direct descendant of Ethan Allen, who stole the cannons uh, from the British and dragged them up for Ticonderoga. Yeah, you with Benedict Arnold. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Our people we were know hanging him as we out. Know him. Right. right, all right. Before he was a traitor. So then, a funny thing in um, Boston. It's the only place they do this. What's that day called? Evacuation, evacuation day. day. So they all get school off. The whole town pretty much shuts down. And evacuation day is when Ethan Allen and Benedict Arnold hauled them up onto what's that hill called? Charles. It's Charleston? in Charles Charlestown. Up where that cemetery is. Yeah. And pointed these guns and fake guns. They just made them out of trees and stuff. Down to the bridge. down at the harbor. All the smoke cleared from the tea and the camping in the morning, and they looked up there and said. We better get the hell out of here. The British, but <laughs> so it was the fake. British left Boston Harbor because of this, so they still get to celebrate that. Nobody yeah. knows what it is. Like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> and that's his uh, it's like, relative. I know this. Ethan I don't Allen. Live here. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have zero fun lineage like that. I think all my <laughs> lineage is dirt farmers, back hundreds of years. <laughs> well, I'm working on becoming that myself. We're yes, you are. We're trying to be farmers. I think you're got you're doing. I it. mean, we are farmers. Yeah, not like very to... not very good farmers. <laughs> we Any... grow things, Yet. other things eat those things. Yes, <laughs> yet we're Just figuring this out. Circle of life, right? Yeah. <laughs> do you grow vegetables? Well, I tried last year to just do Chickens this ate them all. massive uh, tomato crop because I wanted to make a tomato jam. But our little lovely chickens who became pets for me, which you shouldn't do because um, six of them were eaten. Um, but they were eating all the tomatoes and all the blueberries. All right, so let's back up. They became pets, but they weren't initially pets. Why did you get chickens in the, the beginning? They didn't really become pets. She yes, just... Mei Mei was my pet. She would run up. Yes, okay. they were. And she got eaten. One was domesticated. Well, like they didn't come one. in the house no. or anything. No, no, okay. no. But they just knew me and would come run. They still know me. We got them primarily to uh, take care of the take bug care. problem around here. Uh, we had just the dog would come in with 15, 20 ticks on them every day. And, you know, we were getting bitten by them. And, um, so there you go. They devoured those, and then you know you get eggs to boot. Lots of I really mean, ours delicious are all, eggs. In fact, you're going to take eggs home no, today. No, he, he offered. Okay. I, I we don't have, We don't have to do the meat chicken thing. Just just eggs. Just eggs. They're beautiful eggs. Well, the chickens are beautiful too. I, yeah, I, I would keep them. Beautiful the chickens. And, yeah. So um, there are eight eight new ones out there. Yeah. So now we have fifteen, but. Um, but they're just. They're little, really uh, eating the ticks. When we had like the height of our tick problem, when Christer had. Um, lots of ticks on him every time he'd go out to the orchard and they'd be walking in the courtyard and everything. Now you don't see those because they're just constantly roaming and uh, eating all the... Is the it bugs. just ticks that they eat? No, they eat anything. No. Everything yeah. that they can find. Right. Here they come right now. And in fact... Yeah, they, I've been watching them, actually. Yeah. For they kind of root around in all of the, like the beds around the house. and I mean, I think it helps keep weeds out of there because mm. they're... I mean, they make a mess of everything. So you gotta go kind of clean up after them, but they're yeah. 
they're, pretty they're, much they're great anything. for everything except tomatoes and blueberries, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was cleaning. They loved our figs, too, though. I was going to make our fig Rebuilding jam. Rebuilding these shutters here the other day, and they were eating the lead paint off of them. <laughs> and I, I said, no, 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 <laughs> we're going to eat those, chick- those eggs. <laughs> get them away from the lead paint. <laughs> then I'm going to get it. Oh, man, that, yeah, mm-hmm. lead paint can't be good. Yeah. Right. Assumedly, it was lead paint. I, it was. I'm almost positive yeah. it was, right. yeah. All right, uh, I asked this question. You, you've listened to a couple... Christian, you've listened to, oh, if you, yes. you get to the end, she doesn't know this is coming, though. Yeah, I forgot this was coming, too. Yeah, no, it, you'll be fine. Okay. It's meant to be a little more revealing, but not in a way that I'll have to edit. Okay. Um, you're a talk show host one time only. Be daytime, nighttime, late night, whatever you want it to be. You get to pick your guests. Your guests can be alive or dead. Your guests can be famous, not famous, family, friends, uh, somebody you read about 50 years ago, and you're like, wow, I'd really love to talk to that person. Your show can be thought-provoking, it can be fun, it can be entertaining, it can be a mix of, of whatever you want it to be. You get to have one male guest, one female guest, a musical act, and if you're into comedy, uh, a comedian. And I have to pick all of those? All four of those. All four this of those. This is your one-time show. Okay. So Christian knew this was coming and he forgot. I didn't. I didn't yeah. know this was coming. So just off the cuff, just, you know, don't, no, it's, it's don't a, judge. It's meant to be off okay. the cuff. And that, no judgment. Okay, no judgment. So uh, the female would be Martha Stewart because she, I've loved her uh, and all the things that she has done. She's except, an except amazing the, force. Except the insider trading. Right. But, you know, then she, when she went to prison, she taught the prisoners how to knit and they came out all wearing shawls. It's like making lemonade out of lemons, really. So Martha Stewart... The founder of the Container Store, because I've read his book, To okay. Be Contained, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but he has built an amazing company, so it would be really interesting to see from this creative lens of what Martha Stewart has done with him, a musical act. Um, this may sound strange, but David Bowie? Why is that strange? I don't know, because he doesn't really fit into the piece of with the others but well, it I doesn't think, have to fit in okay yeah. all right i'm trying to make a theme it, it, it i tried it i tried it, it doesn't <laughs> have to flow okay and then what was the other one a comedian yeah um julia louise dreyfus she is so funny you know she's uh french From, no yeah french descendant yeah. oh okay i did not know that yeah yeah, I think she comes from uh, quite a bit of moolah, too, but you wouldn't And know Tina Fey. Oh, I love her, too. you got to pick one. Okay, Tina Fey. Sorry, Julia. Okay. Tina's from uh, Northern Virginia. She went to Virginia. UVA. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe our most famous grad. Certainly up there. Anyways, she's hysterical. 30 she, Rock. She's unbelievably funny. Yeah. Kennedy. Oh, yeah, we did have Kennedy. <laughs> John Dickerson. How is he famous? How about Thomas Jefferson? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he didn't graduate. <laughs> He's the one you would marry. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Right. Anyone else on my talk <laughs> show? Uh, or did I get them all? You got them all, but we okay. got. I'll have to look up the container store guy to get his name. I don't have my phone. We don't need it. Yeah, we don't okay. need to check. All right. You're okay. fine. That, that would be a fun show. Yeah. It wouldn't flow. It wouldn't be thematic, but it doesn't have to be. Which David Bowie? What? Which part? Yeah, Ziggy Stardust or after that? Actually, the song that was released after he died. Oh, so oh, postmortem, David. Bowie. Yeah, like like what made him think to write that song, bring him back to life, to talk about how did he feel knowing that he was going to die, to create this amazing. If you watch the video, tears, knowing he he created this work of art to share with people once he was gone. That it, it was intentional in his part. It was intentional and it was intense and it's beautiful. What's the name of the song? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I realized he did that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you like Ziggy Stardust, yeah? Yes. 
Yeah. You liked him all the way through. All the way through. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So other plants that we haven't touched on. I feel like we you've got a lot going on and maybe we've only touched half of it. Only touched half of it. All right. And some of it's probably we can't talk about. Can't it. talk about it yet. Right. All right. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. The wallpaper thing is unbelievably exciting. I'm so excited. Instagram. Yeah. Who knew? I know. Instagram. I love Instagram. Oh, see, so I love taking photos and doing food photography. That's one of my passions right now. Well, I'm not painting. I'm a painter as well. And so while I'm not painting, I find creativity in staging our linens with a cake I've made or a piece of food and making it pretty. So let's talk about art for a second. So you paint uh, other forms of art beyond Um, what we've talked about? Mostly I'm a painter, um, but, you know, I can draw. I think designing the linens falls into that sort of lens. And, of course, Krister gets to participate in that as he's got great design aesthetic and he's an art architect so um picking so color choices pretty powerful work. duo yeah i'd say she'll make these cakes and cupcakes and whatnot there's no reason for them other than to photograph yes I do, wait, do, you, do you eat them well we do look at us <laughs> i don't have that much life <laughs> <laughs> I so, love baking sweets. Is there a chance sweets. you can make quarter batches? Yeah. And I'm like, no, the cake. Just go to the August Table Instagram page and you'll see when there are beautiful cakes in our linens. I've made most of those things. How's it work on Instagram? I'm not a big social media person. How's it work on Instagram? Is it at August Table? Is that, is that it's August you? underscore table. Okay. At August underscore table. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you have a lot of posts. I'm constantly posting. That's to be an e-commerce brand, you need to constantly get in front of potential consumers. Um, and so I have not shifted to video and TikTok. That's where it's moved. I'm kind of trying to maybe do a little bit of video, but I'm staying true to the photography. Still, pictures are probably easier to easier less time to consuming. Craft. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it's like um, if you think about. In centuries past, painters would create this sort of uh, still life, and then they would paint it. And so when I take a picture of food and our linens and other things, it's like a still life for me. So it, it really is. And then using ph- photography to portray it. So I have a feeling you can teach me a couple of things about how to expand the reach of my podcast. I think so. All right. Yeah, <laughs> what's your class you're doing right now? Oh, that's really about uh, Facebook ads. Oh. Yeah. I could do Facebook ads too. Yeah, so yeah, know. you you should. I'm not actually. sure I'm ready for that though. Yeah, I've literally not spent a dime on this podcast except for what you see in front of you. Well, it's a good start. I've been doing it three years. I'm really yeah. not trying to make money, <laughs> even though I probably should. Yeah, why not? Sponsors. Get, I, get paid for your passion. Everyone yeah. should be pursuing their passions. That's what and getting makes paid for life it. worthwhile. When you pursue your passions, you can find money to get paid for it. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Yeah. Awesome. I only have three edits out of this. I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is that good? Maybe only two. Yeah. That's it's about average, actually. I was editing this morning and I had to edit three things this Wait, morning. Wait, all three are my fault. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were definitely involved. Yeah. <laughs> in each of the three. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for doing this. I, I, You invited me into your home. I appreciate that as well. And uh, you have a gorgeous place here. And uh, I wish you guys nothing but the best. All right. Thank you so much. We can't wait to hear it. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.